0: This podcast is brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA community media organisation. Joy. Keep joy on air by becoming a member, a subscriber or donate. Head to joy.org.au. Joy. A diverse sound for a diverse community. Across Australia on the community radio network to over 70 community stations around the nation. This is Word for Word. Coming to you from Australia's LGBTI radio station, Joy. Welcome, family and friends, fans and fiends, to today's edition of Word for Word. I want to thank you for tuning in today. I am Benjamin Norris, and it's simply a delight to continue to work on this show for the Joy Network, which has already featured some of the community's strongest voices. In the tradition of this ongoing program, I continue to look at powerful stories and insights into the life and lifestyle of some incredible people. Each week, we will chat with those in and around our community who have inspired us, entertained us, but mostly they've made an impact on the queer community of Australia. Today's guest is one of them. This man was born in Melbourne, and while he grew up in a conservative religious environment, he quickly became determined to channel his own experiences of queer phobic bullying into a plethora of opportunity. For over 10 years, this man has led the charge With empowering youth through the creation of one of our most important organisations for young people, the Minus18 Foundation. And not content with just being the CEO of Minus18, he has also been involved with the development of groundbreaking LGBTI youth initiatives in Australia, including the first ever Queer Formal, the first national LGBTI education curriculum, and founding the International Day Against Homophobia, Transphobia and Biphobia Australia Youth Project. I'd like to welcome you, and I'd like to welcome Micah Scott to Word for Word.
1: For somebody who was already really petrified of my own identity, it just seemed like the world was caving in.
0: Micah Scott is the CEO of Minus18, which is Australia's largest network for LGBTI youth.
1: Thinking that if I could help other people, then I would feel better about myself. Here I was, this little closet kid... (laughs) In the outer suburbs of Melbourne, giving coming out advice to strangers in America. Since Minus 18 began, we've had over 55,000 LGBTIQ young people attending events. The perception of being bullied or the fear of being bullied was just as real for me as if it were I don't think that my identity and my queerness is ever something that I should have to apologise for.
0: Thank you. You know, what's exciting is that you've been doing Minus 18 for, for how many years now?
1: Ah, uh, well, I started volunteering when I was 16. I'm actually coming up to 10 years in November of <gasps> employment.
0: Is it fair to say that you've been around the block?
1: I have. I have. It's really, it is really funny because being involved in the Pride Centre development, I'm actually re-engaging with a lot of the community leaders. And someone made a comment that, you know, being CEO of a community organisation for 10 years, like, why haven't you burnt out? Everyone burns out, you know, after a couple of years. And I always joke that I have and (laughs) I've just like powered through or, you know, you take a break and get back on that horse.
0: For people out there that might not necessarily know, and who Mm -hmm. are these people? They're living under a rock. What is Minus18?
1: We are Australia's organisation for LGBTI young people. We run events. We're all about social connection. We started uh, 20 years ago running dance parties, essentially, underage events, and there's just no space if you're under the age of 18. The community is very adult-focused, very alcohol-focused, so creating spaces where young people can connect was a really big priority, particularly 20 Mm. years ago when sexuality and gender identity were taboo. They were equated with sex. And so that's where Minus18 was born from, And as we grew, we created this world and this culture where we had events of 500 teenagers coming along and the ability to connect with other people who are just like you in real life is life-changing for anyone. Is it a rude question to ask this? Maybe it is. I think you're going to ask it anyway.
0: I'm going to ask it anyway. Being the CEO for 10 years for a group called Minus 18, which Mm. is about young people, does that mean that there's an expiry date on you?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. And it's one that comes up a lot. And what Minus18 is has really evolved over the last 19 years of the organisation. It's had many different life cycles. Sure. And, you know, what we are is a youth-driven organisation where all of our volunteers are young people. Our board is half young people. We prioritise young staff. But as we grow and as we become a national organisation, we also need leaders from the community to mentor and guide young people to help them grow and have skills and experience that, you know, we can share with younger generations as well. So, it's a mixture of those two. You know, I'm sure that one day I will move on to bigger and greater things, but my own journey and my own growth as an employee and someone running the ship has been huge as well. And as Minus 18 has grown, I've grown with it. Well, you know
0: what, we're going to get into a little bit more of that, but you grew up in Melbourne. Yes, I did. What was your childhood like?
1: Well, Growing up in a conservative Christian home, it was a real, real challenge. I was an avid gamer. I played World of Warcraft every day. And through that as well, you know, I I found community in online chat rooms and forums and made online friends from all over the world who I could come out to and talk about my identity and my queerness. Wow. Uh, It's really funny. um, When I was 16, I was a moderator of this online support group for LGBTI people around the world. And it was just something that I How old out. were you at this stage? 16 years old. That's and crazy. here I was, this little closet kid <laughs> yeah. in the outer suburbs of Melbourne, giving coming out advice to strangers in America. 50-year-old men yeah. <laughs> yeah. internationally. And um, yeah, I guess, you know, I, I always kind of use helping other people as a way to help myself and, to, you know, to to learn and to grow. And I just found a lot of joy in it. How would you describe Micah as a child? Micah as a child was very shy, very socially awkward, very anxious, um, very hyper-aware and hyper-scared that other people would find out that secret. And it was really interesting because I think everyone knew as or, or suspected and I did come out – I came out at 16 to my friends and then 18 to my parents and, and, and family and, and church at, at a much later age because I made that decision when I was going to be independent and I could be on my own if I needed to be. Okay. Um, so, I came out um, at 18 and, you know, it took a while for my parents to really understand.
0: Well, what it. was your relationship like with your parents growing up?
1: It, it, like, decent, very good. You know, I, I had a close – Family, but you know, my my mum and dad sat us down when we I was maybe eight years old and said and gave the speech that God didn't create us to be gay. Or you know, there were the, the gay couple on the block, and you know, my parents would turn it off when the gay couple did something super flamboyant.
0: So really negative, quite negative responses to anything gay.
1: Yes, and and, and the the reconciliation for them and at least initially was we we don't agree with you know the, the sexuality thing but we still love our son as an individual and then how do you how do you bridge that that's um, a long journey though for some parents it, it's been an incredibly long journey and you know from the age of 18 to 21 it was a real point of tension sure. i moved out shortly after 18 and i think moving out for any child and parent relationship is a really Usually a really good thing because that distance, it creates an adult relationship. But it wasn't until 21 where I was a um, finalist for Young Australian of the Year, uh, where my parents kind of understood some of the community work that I'd been doing. And in their credit, I wasn't really vocal about it to them.
0: And Um, also, you probably felt like being respecting of your parents, you didn't want to shove things in their face if that's what they thought. Yeah,
1: to a degree and just the, the fragility of the relationship and, mm. and my need for their approval perhaps that I couldn't really face what they truly thought and I didn't want to put it out there in case that might be shut down or rejected and so I kind of just like kept it on the peripheral a little bit but it was they, it was in the newspaper and they read it and I don't know if I invited them but they showed up to the award they ceremony. They and, you know, they, we went out for dinner afterwards and my mum turned to me and she had tears in her eyes and she said, Micah, I watched Glee last night <laughs> and it was the episode where the gay kid attempted suicide and I, I just want you to know that what you do is really important and we're really proud of you. And, you know, that was a, a really important moment for our relationship, and from there, we we began to grow and we began to heal, and we, we fast forward, you know, five, six years later to the the plebiscite, the mm. postal vote, yeah. whatever you you want to call it, the dark age. <laughs> And, you know, my mum called me one day excited because she said, Micah, I got up in front of uh, my Bible study group and I told them why it was important to vote yes and how I am so proud of you and your work and that, you know, the Bible might say this one thing, but this is how we should interpret it and this is why it's really important, even if you believe another way. And it was huge. And for me, I... I've always struggled to have that communication pathway to my parents around LGBTI topics, despite what a, my work is, because that you know there's so much history within that relationship. But the postal vote and the, the plebiscite was a mechanism for that conversation to be forced and for them to then show their allyship and to show their growth as well. But
0: there's something very powerful in all of that, and that is that for you, there was so much fear mm. about connecting with your parents and sharing who you really were and your sexuality and you've come out of the other side and things are okay, you know, you're proof that you can one day have your parents say to you that they're proud of you. And it's about
1: developing connection and yeah. developing empathy and taking the time to have those hard conversations and we've had many over the last decade, you know, to talk about you know, queer culture and the different laws. And, and, you know, my parents didn't have anyone else in their entire world to even have those conversations with. And there's so many misconceptions, so many stereotypes, and so much fear and misinformation that they just believed because they never had a conversation with somebody that had told them otherwise.
0: You know, your parents both would have affected you in very different ways as you were growing up. What was the differences? Oh, goodness.
1: This is getting very analytical. (laughs) I want to know. I'm a busybody. I'm a professional busybody. Sure. My dad is a small business owner. He works very, very hard and has always been a head down, do hard work, you know, let the results speak for themselves. And you've Um, already said that you've got that from him. Definitely. And as for my mother, you know, she was a, a volunteer as a Sunday school teacher. And growing up, From the get-go, we were always volunteering. You know, we would help out with that and with other community initiatives and it was never a question of why you would do that and it was very much ingrained in us from a very young age that we are here to serve our community and we are here to help others and that is ultimately the purpose of us being in this world and that if we can't help other people, then you're not doing it right. And I think that has allowed me to really harness my own learning and my own understanding because from even high school, volunteering at Minus 18, you know, I volunteered here at Joy, I volunteered with the Victorian government, I volunteered at my university. All of those opportunities whilst, yes, they were, it was great to give back, but they also gave me skills and experience that I would otherwise never have been afforded and has equipped me to do the role I do today. Did you have siblings growing up? Yes, I have two older brothers and a younger sister. Oh, wow. So, you're from a big family. We were the type to stand up and sing and clap our hands.
0: <laughs> what about the dynamics that you had within your family? What role did you play?
1: Oh, I'm... Can I say shit, Sarah?
0: Oh, you can say whatever you oh, like. Yeah,
1: I'm definitely the shit, Sarah. <laughs> and that became really apparent to me. So, two older brothers, there's a bit of a, an age gap. They're seven years sure. older. So, they were kind of, you know, the leaders of the family... And then me and my little sister, I was kind of the big brother to her. But of course, so I kind of had this middle child, but also the the youngest because I was the youngest guy. But But then you also had the oldest. Yeah, but then I was a bigger brother to my little sister. So I kind of have the whole dynamic going on. And my eldest brother, you know, moved to Sydney and then New York quite a few years ago. And we were only back as a family all together in the same room last Christmas for the first time in five or six years. And, you know, when a family comes together, you can sometimes regress. So, your parents are obviously still together. Mm-hmm.
0: And are they still very religious? Are they still going to church? I yeah. mean, how much of your coming out and your sexuality affected their religion?
1: Yeah, well, it, it, it affected their whole life. You know, my, my mum in particular lost friends as a result. But, you know, I think this it, it just speaks about, you know, homophobia isn't just experienced by the LGBTIQ community. And, of course, you know, the, the impact that she experiences is by no means comparable to somebody that mm. is a part of the community. But our allies and our family experience that residual discrimination as well. And they need to be supported through that, Because they're not part of the community, so they don't necessarily have the language or the resilience or the networks that support them through that either. And when I learnt that that had happened, you know, it's hard to not feel bad. But at the same time, you, you can then be that support. So, I could be that support to my mum and I could talk through it with her. And then, again, you find more of that common ground and then she understands a little bit of what I've gone through. And you can talk about what is a healthy relationship and what is a healthy interaction. So, yes, they are still religious. They they have changed churches before. Their Christian beliefs and theology has, I would say, evolved. Particularly as a result of me, my mum went and read a lot of uh, some theses published around the bridging of religious doctrine and, and homosexuality and, you know, those the, the the really famous one that kind of goes through in detail and talks about the what was actually meant when it says two men should not lie together, all those sorts mm. of things, and breaks it down around the historical and cultural contexts of back in when the Bible was written. And so, in that regard, their faith. Has changed Um, But they are still Very much connected To their faith And to God And that's a really Central part of their life
0: I hear you talking a lot About how you've Affected them Have you been able To forgive yourself For that?
1: Not really You know I don't I don't think that My identity And my queerness Is ever something That I should have to Apologise for um, Or feel bad for You know I felt Bad enough On myself Growing up Mm. And, but that's what I mean. You've got to look for forgiveness in that. But, uh, you know, the, the the negative experiences that they had aren't as a result of me. They're as a result of the homophobic and transphobic society that we live in. And that's beyond me. And that's exactly what Minus 18 and all of our work is trying to resolve. And I, yeah, I, I couldn't possibly feel personally responsible for that. The name Micah, where does that come from? Uh, it's from the Bible. It is a book of the Bible. So, I guess Hebrew. I think it means he who is like the Lord. I think I had a plaque on my wall with that growing up. Wow. I didn't like it growing up. Did you? Why? I think uh, it's a cool name. Well, yeah, I, like I do now. He have been for a while. Yeah. <laughs> no, thank you. Tell me. Um, well, you know, when you're a kid, you're in primary school, having a different name is really challenging because it's just that core element of that first point of contact, particularly, uh, you know... Yeah, 15 20 years ago it wasn't as common as it is now it's a little bit more common and people would always make a big deal or a fuss about it like you know Micah, Mika and and like kind of fight you on how you pronounce your name like that's pronounced Mika and it's like this is my name i think i know know how it's
0: pronounced but <laughs> you know what that's so funny cuz that's a real example of the fact when you're younger the things that make you stand out become the things that you end up liking the most about For yourself. For sure.
1: And, you know, as, as a pretty femme boy, that I was already on the outer, already on the back foot. And so, add in a complicated name, you know, add in being, you know, from a, a, a family of faith. These, it, it just contributed to the things that made Micah different. And as a kid, you don't want to be different. But, you know, in my adult years, it's, it's great. It's like Madonna, you know, you don't have to go by a last name. What school did you go to growing up? I went to um, a, a school out near Lilydale called Billanook College until year eight. And that was a really interesting experience. I was friends with a lot of girls, and around year eight was when it became really apparent that I was a bit of a queer. And I actually was talking to a guy online. Which is what you did on MSN chat about from my year level and he was thinking, Oh perhaps he's queer as well. Spoiler alert he is, because you know, see him out all the time. And but the conversation had kind of intimidated him or, you know, his own shame scared him, and so he then told other people that about Me And the conversation that I had had, which caused a lot of negative comments and, and, you know, the the start of, I suppose, bullying, Not, not ongoing, but, you know, for somebody who was already really petrified of my own identity, it just seemed like the world was caving in. And completely unrelated to that, I changed schools anyway and started to go to Melbourne High in South Yarra from year nine onwards. Right. Um, Which, fun fact, was one of the first safe schools in all of Australia. Wow. Um, But that wasn't at the time. And despite it being a very, very progressive queer-friendly school, they didn't have anything visibly queer-friendly. There was no celebration. There was no safe schools. There was no rainbow. There was no assembly talk. It is okay to be gay. And so the previous experiences that I had had coupled with my own fear of, you know, still figuring myself out, meant that the perception of being bullied or the fear of being bullied was just as real for me as if it were happening. And which meant I, I for year 9 and 10 and the first two years of that school, I basically went back into the closet and didn't tell anyone. And that was really, really hard because it, it, when you are your own bully, you can't escape that. You can't escape your own mind. And, you know, we don't have... We didn't have mental health programs in schools or mental health education like we do now. We can have a conversation about depression and anxiety, which you just didn't have then. And it wasn't until I went to minus 18 where I was on a chat room and a friend was like, hey, you should go to... A friend uh, from another country was like, oh, you have minus 18 in your city. You should go. And I was just like... That sounds awful I'm never doing that <laughs> And you need to have A lot of confidence To go along to someone totally. like that Totally I was like I'm so scared of that Like What do, what do people look like I don't look like that um, You know I can't dance What will I say What if they don't like me I can't handle rejection From people that are supposed To love me All of that sort of thing I've had enough rejection and after three months, I've built up the courage and I went along and met up with a friend um, uh, from online again. And we went to minus 18, 16-year-old me in a polo shirt and long blonde hair. And I walked in and I just thought, oh, my goodness, I'm normal. And I, I sat, found my people. I sat in. I was like, everyone is normal. Every, it's just like people who are from school, but they're here. And I sat in the outdoor area for like five hours just talking to everyone that would talk to me.
0: You're not someone who likes to talk, are you?
1: And as somebody (laughs) at, at 16, the idea of that was petrifying. Sure, yeah. And from that moment, I think I left with like 10... Friends and people who I and that people who I met on that night I ended up living with in my twenties and you know going to you know birthdays and and family events and they're people that I met at minus eighteen and it was that community that completely transformed my life and gave me confidence to believe in myself and believe that I'm okay and gave me resilience to then come out at school and gave me resilience to come out to my parents because I knew that even if it didn't go well, I had people that would support me. I had people whose houses I could stay at that before. And
0: these are the things. This is what makes having a community and being a part of a community so important.
1: That is community. And we forget that it's hard Enough to find community as an adult. And we have entire venues set up to do that. But when you're a 15-year-old who can't even leave the house without your mum going, where are you going? When will you be back? Keep your phone on you. How did you get away with all of that? I said I was going, well, this is the thing. So, I grew up at the end of the train line and going into high school in the city, it became easy to say, I'm going to stay at a friend's house tonight, I'll be back tomorrow because I, li- I was going to school an hour away and my friends were from all over Melbourne as a result. Um, so, I said, I'm going to the movies with a friend, I'll be back tomorrow. And the just through the proximity of my high school and through going to a school so far away from home. Gave
0: you the alibi. Gave
1: me the alibi. That's it.
0: (laughs) What was your first experience? Not your first sexual experience, but like what was your first acknowledgement that there even was gay people?
1: I'm one of those people that knew they were queer from like earliest childhood memory. I had a crush on Jim Carrey.
0: You did not, Jim Carrey?
1: From Ace Ventura. He's cute in that film, trust me. (laughs) I saw a news report on TV where Jim Carrey was on a red carpet with his wife. And the discovery that Jim Carrey had a wife made me furious at like six or seven. Isn't that interesting?
0: Well, it's the most disturbing thing I've heard today. <laughs> <right>?
1: <laughs> what goes on in this head is, um, is a world of its What do you own. think of Jim Carrey now? No, weirdly enough, I, I, I'm, I'm very indifferent. I don't have some, like, be still my beating heart, crush on him still. <laughs> <seal. laughs>
0: Looking over your childhood, two common themes, sexuality and religion. Mm. I have to ask, have there, is there a way of those two things coexisting? Absolutely. I think so. Do you have that coexisting in your life?
1: Uh, no, not so much. I think my own faith is an ongoing uh, journey. I think boiling it down to the bare bones of what my values are and what I want to get out of this life, I think that, is, that has never changed. If you could use all of this, you know, and looking
0: back, if, say, 12-year-old Micah walks into the room. What advice would you give him?
1: Oh, yeah. I actually think it would be the most intense conversation. Beyond the gay, queer thing, there's there's this other sticking point for me as a 13-year-old and it was that I would never be loved. And it was that I wasn't worthy of being loved and that I didn't, like, I didn't deserve that and that it was something that I could never, ever find. And my life is full of love, not just from my friends and from, you know, my chosen family, but from the family who I felt would never love me for this part of myself as well. And I think that's, that would be the message that I would want to share. And that's what any teenager wants to know, that they'll be okay, that they not only deserve to be loved but that they will be.
0: Well I'm going to give you the most difficult question that I'm going to ask you today right now (sighs) which is
1: are you happy? Happiness is a journey and I think you can go through areas of your life and phases of your life where you are happier in some times than in others and it's around what you gain happiness from and I find it really challenging with mental health is really complicated and I have my own challenges with mental health and with depression and anxiety and where I find happiness is from community and through being around people who love and understand me where I I can reflect that back at them and when I'm engaging with those people that's when I feel true happiness Mm. And through that shared experience as well. So, yeah, I am happy, but, you know, it's always shifting and different days bring different levels of happiness.
0: How have you been able to cope with your anxiety and depression over the years? (laughs) It's a a battle. Of course, it's a battle. Like, you know, that's why, you know, we're continuously putting anxiety and depression under the magnifying glass because it's a battle because it's different to everybody. And it's not always easy to deal with.
1: And, you know, I'm still finding the language to really articulate it for myself. And I think part of everything, you know, through my 20s in particular, and now I'm, I'm getting close to 30, is that a lot of the experiences that I had as a 13-year-old are coming to surface again over the last couple of years. And, and not in a way that's like I'm reliving it, but in a way of my, I had put them in the back corner of my mind because I wasn't ready to really process them yet. And you can acknowledge that you've had a rough upbringing, but not necessarily dive too far into it. And over the last couple of years, I've got to the stage of my own life where I feel happy and I feel confident and at peace and that's when those doors start to open
0: what you're saying to me like I'm, I'm breathing it, I'm feeling it I'm resonating with it I can hear it like mm. and relate which I'm hoping that other people do but when was it though that or well, when did you realise that you could use your voice to impact other people in a positive way because my god my friend you can do it like as in you have a gift but when did you realise that that was your gift
1: I don't think that there has been a definite moment. It it's an evolution and the way I can help other people or have helped other people is constantly changing and evolving and I'm still learning. I yeah. still I I have I I will be the first to acknowledge I have just as much to learn as anyone else both about our community and about the world. But the more I can learn, that means that I can try and share that too. I think I'm just trying to think of like some examples or specifics to answer sometimes your question the, and no, nothing's see, really coming to that's mind. that's
0: totally fine. I think that's one of the things in life. Sometimes we put pressure to give answers to everything when in actual fact, sometimes it's okay to say, I don't know.
1: Like, yeah, I think like I just, I like to share about myself. I should find it challenging sometimes. I think. Is this like a therapy session right now? no (laughs) kind of some you know i've definitely had moments where i'll just be talking about me and someone will say oh wow that really resonates with me or thank you for sharing that that means a lot and i hadn't really sought to have an impact it's just a matter of of trying to be vulnerable and and share that part of yourself and i i've definitely had that More with friends because you know you you open up a lot more to friends and you have that Mm. comfortability in that in that space and I'm also I I can also be somebody that like impose my own views onto other people too and so naturally you can kind of try and be a guide to friends as well and then seeing a positive impact on on someone you care about that's a really good feeling. It's a reward then, very rewarding.
0: What do you think, though, are the characteristics or what makes a good activist, if we have to
1: use that word? I think I would say resilience is a really big one. You just have to develop a thick skin, not just from... People who are against you, but people who are for you, but want you to be doing different things—you know—because you can only tackle so many things at once. You can only do so much. You can, but when you are have a platform or you have a spotlight on you, your—you know—people will critique that, and there's multiple directions you can head in, and everyone's got different lived experience or, or opinions around what that direction should be. So resilience is a really big one, and I would say empathy and an understanding to, and a willingness to, to learn. I have not always been the best at that and particularly when you are starting out, you have very limited resources so you kind of get this like one track mind of where you have to go because you don't have energy or the ability to learn or to take on board that feedback and so slowing down and learning and being open to that is a really really important tool too.
0: What what university did you go to?
1: I went to Monash. Okay so what were
0: you studying? Um, I was
1: studying communications so but in particular graphic design that was a really big uh, passion of mine in high school. I've, I've always been quite creative a bit of an artistic queer but I also really love the practicality and the real world usage of design, and in particular, communication design. And I guess it all ties back to minus 18 and to work. But this idea that you can have the best idea in the world, but if you can't communicate it properly and visually and in a way that makes sense and engages, then that idea is going to get lost in translation. And I'm a very visual person, I'm a visual learner, and I think a lot of us Mm. are, but we don't necessarily identify it or know it. And so, visual communication and connection we create through the visual element, the photographic element of expression is so important to communicating an idea. And that was... I would say the first thing that I brought to Minus18 was a disconnect between youth brands and what young people's experience was. And at Minus18, we had rooms of hundreds of young people who are LGBTI, who were smiling and having fun and connecting and dancing. And yet, the youth services all around Australia were putting up these photos into schools of young people crying in tears in the hallway of their school, with big letters saying, "You know, don't, uh, don't say that's so gay. Knock it off." It's you know? changing the narrative totally. And so, uh, we thought sexuality and gender identity isn't something that you should be demonstrating in the school hall as something that should that is the gay kid in the corner crying. Like, that's not reflective of who young people want to be. There's no aspiration there.
0: I think it's a really interesting thing that you've brought up because sometimes when it comes to charity and sometimes I get asked to be an ambassador for charity Mm -hmm. and a couple of times I've been really positive and smiling at things or for things that are quite difficult subjects. Mm -hmm. But I've always been commended for the fact that I'm putting positivity into something that's difficult to talk about because it's a better vehicle to get Mm. people to understand it. If you're talking about something difficult, I don't think you necessarily need to paint it as the worst thing in the world.
1: The challenge is that all the research shows the more negative you are, the more people will donate. That's... That, that is what we're dealing with in a community charity context. And so for us as an organisation to say we are not going to give in to that, we are going to build a platform on positivity, on celebration, that financially is really challenging.
0: How do you promote Minus 18? Like, how do you make sure that that message is getting out there so that new people can see it?
1: Didn't you see the safe schools thing? We're indoctrinating and recruiting children into the gay agenda.
0: That's what we do. (laughs) Well, I mean, that's why it's so topical for me to ask the question, you know, we're talking about age appropriate, Mm. like when can you start to promote what Minus 18 is to the right ages?
1: All the research shows that the average Asian young person identifies their own same-sex attraction is around 12, 13 years of age, with many, many, many learning of that or self-identifying earlier. Um, And it shows that the conversation a few years ago was that this should be a year 11 and 12 conversation, you know, end of high school. But in reality, you know, all the data suggests otherwise. So That it's younger. That it's younger.
0: And that's where parents go, I don't want to be having
1: my child be subjected to this sort of stuff. Exactly. You know, not to conflate identity with sexual behaviour either. Um, That's really quite funny that you
0: say that as well, because what I get confused about is gender and sexuality, to me, are very different things. Yes. Somebody's sexuality is very different to someone's gender. They
1: are. And your gender identity and your gender expression is completely mutually exclusive from your sexuality and who you're attracted to versus who you are. And what we know is that, particularly when it comes to gender identity, there are children... Uh, who are four, five, six years old who are showing gender expression doesn't align with the sex that they're assigned it, And so, you know, when we have this conversation about how young is too young and we have parents who are crying out for help with their children who are not necessarily self-identifying as transgender, but some who are, and, you know, all the way up into high school, you know, it, it shows that we should be empowering the community and families and young people with this knowledge and with the support that they deserve. A hundred percent. But
0: I mean, it begs the question, how are you advertising Minus 18 to sure. young people?
1: So Minus 18 is quite predominantly online. We provide uh, resources into schools. And so, you know, we provide resources on sexuality, which are written by young people, mm-hmm. sources on gender identity, which again are written by young people. And we provide them to the schools so that they can offer them to the students. They, you know, as educators can make the decision themselves as to whether that content is age-appropriate. And spoiler alert, most of them identify it as being age-appropriate. The, the challenge, though, and, and that we, we face, and we don't really discuss sex at minus 18 or sexual practice, And that's because the, you know, and even when we looked at the Safe Schools debacle is the word we're using, the the controversy around it was talking about things like anal sex or safe sex, etc. And none of that is part of the Safe Schools program. Not one word talks about how to have sex. Same with Minus 18, and which is a real problem because we should be talking openly about sexual health and about safe sex and sexual practice. But unfortunately, there is still so much stigma in the community, parents and in conservative groups, um, that for us as an organisation, it's too challenging.
0: Well, the capital C conservatives are always going to jump all over that.
1: For sure. As
0: soon as they hear anything, it's almost like they're they're vision impaired, but mind impaired. And they then, instead of reacting with the facts, they then jump up and down with facts that are a little left of centre.
1: Well, they they jump up with lies, but they say so many of them so frequently that they, you know, you can't begin to even dispel them all because they're just stick.
0: How about criticism? Like for Minus 18, what criticisms have you faced over the years? And then how do you deal with that?
1: Well, the biggest one is around our support for gender diverse young people, you know, from particularly conservative groups, the idea that We long ago gave up the idea that you can convert somebody to being queer. We gave up the notion that you can corrupt a child and turn them gay. Yet somehow that dialogue is occurring right at the moment with gender identity and trans young people. We have this you know, um, sensationalism that we have all these new transgender children as a result of programs like Safe Schools Coalition. But the reality is these children were always trans, but now they have a space where they can feel comfortable being themselves and getting the support they deserve. So, of course, there are going to be more people coming out as trans. But the idea that you can you know, corrupt them or somehow influence their own identity, I think is... is Completely uneducated. Exactly. And that's one of the biggest criticisms we get as well. But to change people and to
0: support people who do not want to acknowledge these topics of conversation, they're sparking fear into people. And the only way they can put fear into people is by lying to them. Yeah. And and uh, saying things like gender whispers at school (laughs) without actually
1: seeing... What line of conversation was happening? No, and but th- that's the thing, and, and that's why this works, but I uh, or, or, or or can work in some cases. And I just, it, it to me, it it's a bit exhausting and a bit idiotic in the sense because there's so many parallels between the journey we've had with the gay, bi, and lesbian community and the the journey that the trans, gender, diverse, and non-binary community are on right now. And they're they're identical, the exact same arguments. You can pull up newspaper headlines from 20 years ago and they're nearly word for word verbatim. And it highlights the importance of our queer community of gays, lesbians and bisexuals and same gender attracted community that we've gone through this and we need to support our trans and diverse community. Or
0: share the learnings of how we were able to
1: get through that. Not just share the learnings, but step up and be active allies. And we, we are one in the same community mm. and t- we're stronger together because the reality is as well that our gender identity and our gender expression impacts our whole society and our LGBTI community as well. The The bullying that I received growing up for being gay, didn't really have anything to do... You know, I wasn't having sex with other men, etc. But I was more femme. And my gender expression didn't match this masculine ideal that it was supposed to match.
0: All the pressures on society was that, you know, putting pressure on boys to be boys and
1: girls to be girls. Exactly. And so, you know, and while that's not anywhere near... Um, to the level of the the transphobia and the discrimination that the trans community experience, the, these concepts and these values affect us all. And we as a community need to stand together to support the whole community in order to progress forward and celebrate all forms of queerness. Having a finger on the pulse and spending so much time with the youth, being
0: a part of Minus 18, what's something that you hear again and again at the moment?
1: At the moment, it's really around pansexuality, around bisexuality as well. You know, I think... Pretend uh, I'm really ignorant. Just give me what yeah, pansexuality yeah. is. So, you know, pa- both pa- pan and bisexuality is being attracted to more than one gender. Uh, so, with pansexuality, it's around your, your uh, being attracted to um, all genders, um, so that can be cis men, cis women, trans men, trans women, non-binary, no matter your gender identity, acknowledging that there are multiple genders and you're attracted to all of them or open to more than more than just one.
0: And what sexuality would you say you are?
1: Well, I'd identify as queer and that's more just a, a term that I use to kind of... I guess, weave in a little bit of my own gender expression as well to empower myself to be a bit more femme when I want to be or when I feel that um, and acknowledge that identity can be a bit more fluid. And that tied in with those identities is really what, what's, what the youth, are all about. Um, and but a queer is a good way of... I mean, a queer is a good word to bring up, though, because, you
0: know, for a lot of people, a lot of the older people, queer is a negative. You know, it was a word for that sure. has
1: really changed. But, you know, we have a very strong history as a community of reclaiming language, and particularly when we look at words like dyke that has been reclaimed very heavily. Queer is another example. You know, we have a club in Melbourne called Poof All of these, this language, we can claim it as our own because when we use that language as our own, we take the power and the negative thing away from it. And so, you know, it's that, that fluidity is a really common thing and there's really, there's a beauty in that as well, because from our perspective as an organization, it empowers us to say to the young people, it doesn't matter what your identity is. A lot of young people are still figuring it out. And I think maybe five or six years ago, there's an intense pressure to figure it out. And, you know, when we look at biphobia in particular, we've always said, you know, uh, the community rather has always had that attitude that, you know, bisexuality is a gateway to being gay. And with young people, that's not the case at all because it empowers them to say, well, I might be into guys today. I might be into girls tomorrow. Which is a language they're feeling more comfortable to say, to yeah. use. Yeah. And, and that, they're, that they don't have to have those pressures. They can just be themselves. And ultimately, at Minus18, that's what we're striving for. It's a world where we can just be and that you can have a partner of a different gender of the same gender and no one's going to bat an eyelid you can have gender expression in any way that you think feel that you feel feels right for you and no one is going to insult you on the street or you're not going to have to explain it to somebody who it doesn't really matter to and that's where that whole fluid idea becomes really beautiful.
0: I like the idea of using the word fluid. You know, we are heading in a very different direction with talking about fluidity. Like, eventually, you're hoping that people aren't wearing clothes that are defined by sexuality or gender. You know, like, it's nice that we're heading to this space, and it's great that the younger people are leading the way with opening up people's minds to use different terms that are more
1: appropriate mm. and more inclusive. It's really interesting as well because it's scary for a lot of people and even within our own community. You know, we we, we definitely heard attitudes that, you know, or why 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 can't people just choose? And that's coming from within our own community. Or I don't understand it, like, I'm gay, but... I, I like manly men or the, I like straight acting men or that sort of thing like throw the labels away totally like we' like we don't want to hear that stuff anymore and, and, and I think the safety in labels I, I definitely acknowledge that and we find comfort in Categorizing things. That's human nature for us to want everything to have a category that we can fit neatly into. into, For sure, because there's comfort and there's shared understanding that way. But there's also a beauty in letting go and letting another person be whoever they are and realising that that doesn't impact you negatively. And there's beauty in someone feeling comfortable to do that.
0: Some of the big changes you've seen over the last 10 years have evident in what you've talked about today. Where do you think we're going in the next 10 years? Like, what biggest changes are we needing to make or do you foresee happening?
1: I think the direction our community is going in at the moment, there's a lot of tension between new age of queerness and existing community structures. Um, and by that I mean, you know, not just the fluidity of identity but the intersectionality as well. So it's not just enough for to have organisations that are run by white LGBTI people. We need to be considerate of the intersectionality of people of colour, of... Of people of faith, of you know people um, who are gender diverse, and how we bring everybody into that conversation as well. Um, and what's going to happen is the whole. Community is shifting, and we can feel it shifting now, and perhaps because minus eighteen is connected to the next generation we, we can we can foreshadow some of this, uh, but it 's happening globally too, um, and I think marriage equality um, across the world has been the the dam that 's broken it 's been that that issue that has contained the community and has been the focus mm. and then once that that issue is no longer it's given space for all these other hot topics and really important critical um, communities um, to have their voices heard and their issues brought to the forefront. Um, and there's a lot of them. But, but we th- need to champion these people to come out and speak
0: for well, them. We have
1: to, yes, because we, we owe it to everyone in our community because these are the people that championed the rights of the community as a Mm. whole. These are the people who threw the bricks at Stonewall. These are the people who championed marriage equality. These are the people that marched in Mardi Gras. These are the people that have worked in regional areas and changed the hearts and minds of their community. And we, it's important that we don't lose sight of the rest of our community if we feel that as individuals, we now have it pretty good or we're doing okay. You know, we need to not view it as individuals or individualistic. We need to still maintain that community culture. Um, and that's what's coming next. And I, and we've seen in other areas of the world when that isn't supported, then the community can fragment. And the community, the, those groups who have felt um, and have been um, minorities within minorities and have felt oppressions upon oppressions if they're not heard now, then they they deserve to be. And we need to support
0: that. Yeah, 100%. I think that we're at a real crossroad, I think, where we need to make sure with the LGBTI community that we're together instead of fragmenting. How can we change the culture in the way the politicians of Australia are commenting on the
1: <laughs> LGBTI community? <laughs> uh, um I I listened to a really interesting podcast the other day with the suggestion that we should have a people's parliament and that parliament itself should actually be a random lottery of representation of the population of a country. So, you know, at the moment, we're very aware that politicians are predominantly older white people and older white men who have all generally had a very successful business career. And we know that that is not representative of the Australian population in any sense of that demographic, in age, in socioeconomic status, in gender, in their LGBTI identity, in their race, in their, in, in their abilities, in all senses of identities that's not reflected in our parliament. And so we have you know, it's that it's the same all across the world though. And so we have the system set up of decision makers who do not represent the people. And you know, fundamentally that's the issue that we're facing.
0: Is there a way, do you think, of being able to change the structure or change the way? Like is there something that you can see in the foreseeable future that People's Parliament. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you've contributed to the community in so many different ways Supporting Youth, Weeks every, Youth Week every year, you've been a part of the Oaktree Foundation, the Shannon Company, the Foundation for Young Australians. You have been able to contribute to La Trobe University and the Victorian government. Over these contributions and things that you've been able to add to, is there something that you felt the most rewarded for?
1: I think my most proud moment was in Adelaide running a Minus 18 Queer Formal. And and seeing the impact of an organisation like Minus Eighteen going there, and the appreciation not just from young people but parents who were in tears because of their child having the ability to attend and and meet other young people. On the second year that we ran the queer formal, um, a young girl came up to me and she just she goes. Micah, I don't know if you remember, you wouldn't remember me, you wouldn't even recognize me. Last year after the queer formal, I went home and I finally had the confidence to come out to my parents and tell them I was trans. And from that moment on, um, it would just, you know, I could just be me and this year I've come and I just need to come so I could tell you that. And wow, that that personal element, yeah. and, like coupled with the culture of Adelaide, which is so so different as well. And talking to all those young people and seeing the the real impact, you know, particularly as the organization grows, I spend less and less time at events, again, because I'm not a young person. And it's those moments where you reconnect with that purpose of what all that hard work is for, particularly when you're a bit tired at an event, just like oh, thank you for telling me, I'm going to go backstage now and have a little, have a little cry. Um, <laughs> well, you kind of have to, though, because to, it's yeah.
0: just as, I mean, that's the evidence that what it is that you do is making a difference.
1: Of course. And that's, that's it, right? The, you can, you know, come on radio and talk about it all you want. You can, you know, try and tell politicians the importance of the program, but at the end of the day, all you need to do is come down to an event and talk to one young person and see that smile on their face or talk to their parents, get an email from a parent saying, I've never seen my child happier, they've struggled to make friends and now they have a whole group of friends. Thank you, thank you, thank you. That's that's all you need. What's next for you? What's next to
0: be challenged? What is Everest to be climbed?
1: <laughs> you know, the, the big focus at the moment for for me and for minus 18 is to really look in internally into our organization we have gone through this huge period of rapid growth to a point where and in all community organizations we all do this is Mm. you just work your tushy off and then you suddenly come up for air and you go oh wow like we're doing really well like let's just like chill for a minute and take stock and like look at what we're doing and make sure that we're doing it in a way that supports each other and that you know there's we're we're of a size now where we don't have to have that community mentality of just like go 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 like you have to get you have to get everything done you can you can support each other and and build a, a community and a family internally and that's what i really want from our organization and it's so, so important in our whole community because that's sustainability and that will ensure that Minus 18 is here for generations to come.
0: Have you got a message for the queer community that would be listening to this right now?
1: My message is if you want to support Minus 18, you can donate to us. Uh, our website is minus18.org.au We rely on community donations. We are only fund- government funded for about 25% of our organisation. The rest comes from community, which is proportionately really high. And the reason for that is the work that we're doing isn't valued in you know, Australian government, in, in lots of other spheres, because it's LGBTI young people. And that's really controversial. So if it's a message that you believe in, um, you might like to support us.
0: Very good. It's a good message. (laughs) And it's a good thing to support Micah Scott. Thank you so much for joining us on Word for Word.
1: Thank you. Word for Word is
0: presented and produced by Ben Norris from Australia's LGBTI radio station, Joy. Word for Word is distributed nationally to over 70 radio stations across the community radio network.
1: Thanks for listening to another Joy podcast, brought to you by Australia's LGBTQIA plus community media organisation, Joy.